Today we have Jimmy Edwards on the show. Jimmy started in residential and scaled into multifamily. He is a general partner in about 600 multifamily units. This guy is not afraid of the tough deals. His latest deal doubled investors' money in less than three years. Listen to hear how Jimmy and his team find ways to improve the value of distressed assets. Before we jump into the intro, I want to let you know about a multifamily conference coming up. The Multifamily Investor Nation Summit put on by Dan Hanford and his business partner is coming up on June 10th through the 12th. It's a three-day online event for multifamily investors with over 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. I actually will be one of those speakers. Go to MFINsummit.com to grab your ticket and use promo code DARREN, D-A-R-I-N, all caps, to get $100 off. Dan was on the show, episode 25. It's a great opportunity to learn more about the space. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Jimmy Edwards before we start the show. Jimmy lives in the Dallas area. He started as an investor in residential homes and then scaled up into multifamily. Jimmy believes that going after the tougher deals gives him and his team a competitive advantage as there's much less competition. He's a general partner in over 600 units and has massive growth goals. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone. Today, we've got a special guest here with us today. We've got Jimmy Edwards. Jimmy, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me, brother. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So just a little bit about how I know Jimmy. So um, if you've listened to any of the other prior shows, I joined a multifamily mentorship group um, back probably three and a half years ago, um, December 2017. And I met Jimmy in that group, and he he's been killing it since. And um, he just closed on on the sale of one of his properties, and I was like, "Let's get you on here and and help share some info with you listeners." So, um, with that, Jimmy, again, appreciate you coming on. Can you just share with the listeners how many properties and how many units uh, you currently own? So we've had several dispositions, but I'm. We're, we're up to four. We currently hold two. I'm an LP and, and some other units. I, I think my total unit count is probably 600, something like that. But GP, we've, we've got two deals right now, 100, 100, give or take, units each. Fantastic. So we caught Jimmy. He actually lives in the Dallas area, but he... You know, it's gonna it's raining in Dallas all week long. So he decided to jump on a plane and head to Fort Lauderdale. So 
He is actually recording this in Fort Lauderdale at a resort. He's got two IPAs waiting for him after he's done with this, and he's going to enjoy his time in Florida. So I appreciate you uh, taking some time out and and hanging out with us. Um, Yeah. Hey, I know that your background was really like single family, uh, fix and flip. And, and, um, you know, I think there's a lot of listeners out there that, are in that same boat that they, you know, they got comfortable with that and they don't know how to make the transition. So can you talk a little bit about your history in terms of what you were doing and then, you know, why'd you make the decision to go multifamily? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've been in real estate pretty much my, my whole career and it was, you know, I, I think I, you know, had this thing in the back of my mind that that was what I wanted to do. And, I started off as a as a realtor and then I was a loan officer for quite a few years and and that was 2009 to 2012 so I mean um, I was doing a ton of refis and a lot of new business I was helping a lot of VA uh, borrowers they closed my branch down and it had nothing to do with production I think that um, there was some differences there but in 2013 I decided to start flipping houses and um I, you know, started one at a time by 2016, we're doing about 60 a year, um, 60 uh, a year, 60 a year. So it was, it was, it was a lot of work. I learned a lot and, you know, we made some good money and, um, but I kind of was at this position to where, you know, how am I going to scale this business? Am I going to scale this business? Am I going to do more houses? Am I going to, you know, have more people on staff? Am I going to do bigger houses? Am I going to do new construction? Am I going to do more expensive deals? And ultimately what we did was, you know, 2017, we did less volume, higher margins. So we did about half the deals and made more money. And there was really kind of a pivot there, which, you know, uh, I learned about multifamily that we had one deal that, um, it set on the market for a while and the, the holding costs were really killing us. And I, I learned about multifamily and it just was, you know, kind of that aha moment. You can reposition this asset while they're covering, you know, your holding costs. So 2017, really dug into multifamily, uh, got our first deal early 2018. Um, and then almost, you know, seems like we've bought one, you know, one or two a year since then. So that's fantastic. Uh- you, you said you wanted to do it, but, and then you just kind of made it seem like it just happened, right? I mean, <laughs> it, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I want to do multifamily, but, you know, it, talk about how you went about doing that. You know, you were, you were doing all those single families, you decided to scale and go multifamily. How'd you make that happen? So my, it's kind of interesting. My, my partner, Catherine, she it's an interesting story, but she was, uh, she married a, a good buddy of mine, you know, from college, we met each other in the dorms and they got married and, you know, we circled up and we were friends and around, you know, 2013 or 2014, I think she was having, uh, her first kid. And we had done a couple projects together as partners on, on single family deals, but she was also working primarily, um, she'd been in the apartment business. She'd worked for um, major owners and she'd also worked for um, a guy that we both know that does a lot of the due diligence in the DFW area. And so she worked pretty tight knit 
um, in that circle. And so she'd been in the apartment game, but as a vendor and we were flipping houses, you know, as a unit. Um, and then, so kind of when we had this moment in 2017 of like, Hey, how do we scale this? It was really, you know, kind of her. It was like, Hey, like, I, I think we need to get back. We need to get into apartments and I have a lot of contacts there. And so I, you know, I explored a little bit in the market and understood, you know, some of the mentorship groups and, um, really just started meeting people and, and we were chasing our first deal and we're, I was looking at the comps on, you know, DCAD and, uh, one of the owners of a comparable property, she was like, Oh, I know that guy. Let me call him. And so she just like made a phone call. So like, I personally had a little bit of, of an end, but I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, we just, we went after it. Uh, my neighbor called me and said he was t selling his 26 unit building in Dallas. He'd moved to Miami, had sold his house. And, and, uh, we just, we, we went after the deal and, you know, I was always kind of taught if you have a real deal, you'll, you'll find the money. So just go out. We were, we were just, we just went after it. Um, it didn't work out, but it, it created a lot of bridges into other other things that really helped us well you know you said something there that i've heard a lot of people say um you know you went after something you, it didn't happen it didn't happen you know but you you learn a lot during that process and then all of a sudden some doors may open because of it so you know sometimes people are just sitting back waiting for the perfect 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 opportunity and it never comes around where if there's a a good deal that looks promising, you know, you can continue to dig in on that deal and, you know, potentially put in an offer and, and move forward and, and still have time to, to get out if it's not right, but something else may come, come from it. You may build a relationship with the broker, you know, with a, with one of the lenders, um, you could end up, um, you know, finding another partner from the, from the deal. So you, there's a lot of different things that could happen, um, by taking some action. So that, that's huge. Um, I have to do this because this is a Jimmy thing. Okay. Boom. So boom. Th this guy, every time somebody does something good in our group, Jimmy is there with the, with the big old boom. So, um, I want to give you one because I heard that you guys just closed on a deal. Um, went full cycle. La I think what, what was it last week? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, about two weeks ago, and it was uh, it was it was a really man. It means a lot to me, and I and I appreciate that. It was um, it was it was the first big deal that we did. It was 103 units, but it was it was 50 percent occupied when we bought it. So there was 50 percent occupied. Units. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So for most of the people that I brought on the show, they're syndicators that you know focus on buying stuff that. 90% or greater occupancy at the time of purchase, um, agency type loans. And, you know, Jimmy's a guy that he's not afraid to buy the, the, the tougher deal. And he, you know, he had had that experience on the single family side and he's brought that to the multifamily side. So continue to talk about that deal. It was 50% occupied. What else? Um, what about, yeah, else about the deal? Can you share? Yeah, it was it was pretty hairy. We we ended up, I think, at our lowest point was, you know, mid 30s, 30 percent occupancy. Cow. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was, um, you know, I think it was one of those deals where 
the ownership team, you know, may or may not known really what was going on. And uh, we, you know, through due diligence, d- discovered a lot of stuff. And, you know, it was still a project that we were, we were excited about. So, you know, we, we got a new management company. We actually were on our second management company. But we, we turned that thing around. It had a lot of deferred maintenance. And we, uh, we got it stabilized through COVID. Ended up selling it. I think we closed, uh, you know, two or three weeks ago in April. And um, the, the, the next buyer is going to have, you know, an awesome project. And we did really good for our investors. I, you know, I, I think it's uh, ended up like 2x multiple, uh, 27, 28 IRR in 35 months. So was a was a really good deal. Uh, we learned a lot, man. I mean, there was, you know, challenges and headaches and pain points. But, you know, nothing that, you know, I, we hadn't kind of experienced before. So it was, you know, sometimes there's opportunities in places that other people aren't looking at. And that was really kind of what that deal was for us. So what is, what is a deal like that? How do you look at that deal differently than, look, m- I, most of the deals I've looked at and I, syndicators that I know, again, they're, they're buying stabilized properties. So how do you look at that deal? How do you underwrite that deal? Are you, um, you know, is what's the break even on, on that? Is sure. it 70% occupied or, or what, you know, help us understand that. It was, uh, you know, it's probably one of those deals. Well, it was one of those deals where we, we raised extra money for operating costs because we knew the first year was going to be in the red. And it was a deal that we pitched to our investors that, you know, wasn't a strong cash flow opportunity. But for me and my team, um, that was a realm that, you know, our investors were comfortable with, right? Like there, I've, I'd been building relationships over the past four or five years with people that were investing in flips or interested in flipping or, you know, and, and even our partners, you know, had experience with, with this type of thing to where, you know, we had a, a seasoned database of people who said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not looking, cash flow would be great, but like, I trust y'all's experience to, to turn this deal around. So it was, it was, it was an interesting deal. It was a, it was a bank, you know, bank finance deal, um, but it was a bank that we had a relationship with and they trusted, you know, that we could, we could make it happen, trust but verify. But um, again, you know, we had a track record in the single family space and then some of my partners on that deal had had also done heavy lifts in apartments as well. So we really just brought a brought a really good team together that was able to execute and, and had a lot of trust around us. That, that's fantastic. So you mentioned it was a, a bank finance deal. You know, for the listener's perspective, if it's below 90% occupancy, you're most likely having to get either bank or bridge financing. So what was the term on that? Um, was it a, th- a three year, five year? I believe this was a seven year, seven year, seven year recourse loan with two years of interest only, uh, and a floating rate, mm, you know, maybe 50 basis points above LIBOR. So, but I mean, kind of the way that we looked at it at the time, this was three years ago. This was before, this was at the top of the market. This was before 
the next recession was coming, I'm not right? Sure if you're so, saying the top of the market because yeah. maybe maybe interest rate wise, but not necessarily oh. per unit oh. count, unit price well, wise, because it's still a pretty hot market out there. I mean, I think it's going to go for ne the, the next five years. But you know, at the time, we thought we I would rather have seven years of loan than. Uh, I would rather play on a floating rate and have, you know, I'm basically paying my prepay up front on a floating rate for seven years, right? Like to us, that was the play. Like I want to make sure that if something happens, I'm not stuck in a three-year bridge loan. Yeah. You know, I think now we're in a, I, I'm, I'm entertaining bridge loans now. Like I think that over the next three to five years, like we're going to see the same, same growth that we've had. We've, we've seen the catastrophic event and, multifamily has been crushing it. So I'm, I'm extremely bullish on, on where I think the market's going and you can still be safe with some, some products that fit what you're trying to do. Fantastic. So where was the occupancy when you sold, sold it a couple weeks ago? 90, we ended at 92, 92. Yeah. Great yeah. We, so bought it at 50, went down to, you know, mid thirties and sold it at 92. The buyer was able to get an agency loan. It was, it was a good deal, man. You know, I think they've got uh, a lot of opportunity there. It was just kind of one of those things for us. Like, dude, we completed our business plan. We filled this thing up. Like, you know, let's let the next guy really finesse it. And, yeah, and, take it to and the he's next excited level. about that. Yeah. So, yeah. and you said that, so basically when you said 2X multiple, I mean, if somebody put in on a grand as a limited I believe partner, if, if, yeah, if you, if you put in a hundred grand, I, I think you just got a check for $204,000. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure some people are, are saying thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, we got, a, we got some excitement going and I think we're going to have a, uh, a party here in a couple of weeks and kind of celebrate. So it was, uh, we're, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really glad that we're able to do that for our investors and, you know, it was, it's, it's been a, it's been a good project all around. Fantastic. Hey, you said that there were some bumps along the way, some, you know, hiccups. Uh, sure. Can you talk about any of those? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that anytime you inherit a property that's, you know, in that condition, you know, there's going to be some skeletons in the closet and there's, and there's going to be, I like to call it, you know, poking the hornet's nest. You're going to, you're going to shake the tree a little bit, you know, and shake some of the bad apples out. And so there were some experiences like that. I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, it was an older property with, with quite a bit of deferred maintenance. And so give it, give it an example if you, if you wouldn't. I mean, mind. yeah, yeah. So really, the I think the biggest pain point on this one was was a chiller system. It was it was built in the in the '60s, and it had, I think it had a two relatively new chillers. You know, maybe one was put in and 20 years ago, and the other one was seven or eight years old. But what you know, what we found was as we took over the property, you know, it's got individual condensers in each unit and. So we, you know, we budgeted to replace a handful of those. And we, we went in there and, you know, this person was like, hey, my, my AC's blowing cold, but my, my unit is not getting cold. And, and so our AC guy would go in there and sure enough, you know, 
the blower was working, but it didn't have any ducting, no ducts. Mm -hmm. So we're on an all bills paid property. We're cooling the attic space in between the downstairs unit and the upstairs unit. And so, you know, that was one of the things that like, you know, we just, I don't know if, you know, you call it overlooked or didn't, you know, didn't know about, but I mean, you know, we had some contingency in the money in the budget. So the money was there, but I mean, you know, there was a handful of those and it was just, just one of those things where, you know, when it, when it sits empty for so long, there's, you know, when people are living in units, they're more vocal, right? So when they're empty, you know, you know, you don't always know about the problems, but that was, that was probably the biggest, biggest yeah, that, shock. That, that would be deal. an interesting one for sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, so you ended up buying in Lubbock. Um, you know, why did you pick that market? I mean, you know, mostly because I'm a, I'm a red Raider. So Texas we were, tech. yeah, Texas tech, get your, get your guns up. We, uh, you know, we looked at the, we, we looked at a lot of different markets, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, um, Lubbock. I was interested in Waco and, uh, you know, this deal kind of presented itself and it just, it was kind of the right place at the right time. I mean, I've always felt, you know, I, I understand the Lubbock market. I understand, you know, the different parts of towns, where you want to go, where you don't want to go. Um, and it was just kind of, you know, uh, it, it was, it was a, a slower appreciation play, but price per pound at the time, I mean, this was 2018, you know, I think we got in at 35 a door and, you know, that was unheard of in, in Dallas. Yeah, completely unheard of. It was the, it was kind of a, a price per pound. And, you know, we felt like we didn't need, you know, the huge rent growth bumps and the huge appreciation and cap rate depression because we were buying it as a 50% occupied deal. So there was a different opportunity to create value and, and it just, it kind of presented itself and we knew the market. And so we just, we went for it. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some people talk to me about, you know, should I be in, you know, the, the disadvantages of being in, you know, the high growth markets like Dallas, whatnot, is that there's a lot more competition, right? So some, yep. some newer people will be like, Hey, should I go out to some of the, you know, tertiary markets? And, and that can be a play, you know, you just have to know that, you know, one, um, when you go to sell, there's going to be, le you know, less people Smaller looking pool. at that that those deals, um, two, you know, you're, you're not going to have as many vendors to choose from as, as in some of the larger markets. And, um, but if you can get comfortable with those things, the advantage is that you don't have the competition going in. There's not as many people looking, you know, to compete, to buy that property. Yeah, I would, I mean, I would agree a hundred percent. I mean, we're, I'm, you know, we're, we're looking at both. I'm still making offers in Lubbock and we're also, you know, making offers in DFW, San Antonio and Houston. And, you know, you just have to, you know, understand that they're two different machines, right? Like one, you're going to is highly competitive, but the appreciation aspect is through the roof. And then the other is less competitive. But if you find the right deal, then, you know, it's a solid cost per pound play. So, and, and like you said, they're, there's struggles, you know, there's, there's struggles. There's less, the workforce is smaller. The trades are less. I mean, there's, there's, you know, things that, you know, you have to deal with, but that's why you're getting 
it at a different, you know, you're buying it at a different value and selling it at a different value. So there's, there's trade-offs. And now that you have experience out there, you know, the markets, you know, that much better. And you've developed relationships with property management companies and with, with vendors to, to do rehab. And um, so that gives you a leg up on, you know, the other, the next guy who's coming out to try to do some, you know, to bid on deal that doesn't have those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes, you know, when we're looking at deals, I sometimes question myself if I'm doing something wrong, um, by being too conservative. But then I also realize that like, you know, we have real life experience, you know, in tertiary markets and understand the struggles that come along with it. And so when people are ready, willing and able to pay more than me, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited about it because it's a great comp for some of our current deals. So, you know, there's, there's struggles. And I think that, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. I mean, none of it's catastrophic, but it it can be add to the workload. Yeah, sure. I absolutely. I mean, I, I'll, I'll add an, an experience for me. Um, you know, so bought a deal in about 15, 20 minutes south of Fort Worth in Crowley. And at the time was being given guidance, like use 80% of, you know, current property tax valuation. Um, and so I used that in my underwriting. And then, you know, after we bought the deal, Tarrant County went and like valued the property above our purchase price. Oh my gosh. So more than a hundred percent and property taxes is a big component of your expenses. So that, you know, thankfully we were, we were ahead of budget on our, um, you know, our rent bumps on, on the new value add. But, um, then we had to protest and then we had to, actually um sue the, the county yeah. and we ended up getting the the value down but that's just an example of okay i'm like if i'm gonna buy another deal in you know tarrant county i'm gonna budget for a yeah. you know 100 percent of yeah. the, the purchase price because i don't know where they're gonna come in but yeah. the guy who's buying for the first time he might be getting the same advice i got Right. Four years ago saying, you know, under 80% and like, you know, good for you, but you know, hopefully you're able to get the property taxes down because that's a big expense. So, um, so now you're focused on San Antonio, Lubbock and Dallas and Houston. Yeah. I'm interested in Houston. We're not there yet. Um, we're pretty active in the Dallas marketplace, but I mean, you know, as you can imagine, it's it's pretty competitive. Um, San Antonio, so, we've got. Go do you focus on more of these deeper value add type plays, or do you look at the stabilized properties also? I'm interested in both. I'm interested in both, and it really just to me depends. You know, where the opportunity presents itself. Um, I like. I, I, I'm more interested in going bigger. Um, you know, nowadays I, I like the value add, you know, stabilizes. Okay. I mean, we, we brought a property that was, you know, stabilized, but you know, hundred percent classic units. Um, so I'll, I'll do both. Like I'm, 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 I'm not, I don't, I don't discriminate on deals. If it, if, if there's a play that can be had there, like I'm, I'm really interested in it. Um, but I think it's good to have both. I think it's good to have 
some deals that are, you know, maybe stabilized, but it's a management play or it's a classic to up premium play, you know, and then there's some other deals that have just been completely mismanaged and fell apart. And, and I'm okay doing those both. Like I'm not, you know, my, my portfolio isn't all about the cash flow. Like if we can make a big pop repositioning something, I'm, I'm really interested in that. So, well, I think that you have something that a lot of people don't in terms of you know, not having that fear of going after that, you know, distressed deal. Like, you know, so you will look at the, I think where the, the majority of the competition is, is on the stabilized deals. Sure. And, you know, there's not as many deals in today's market that are in trouble um, that are, you know, um, but if they're, if they are, that shrinks the buyer pool because a lot of people don't even want to look at those deals. And the well, fact that you'll look at both, you know, says a lot. And, and typically those deals aren't, aren't going to market, right? So if a broker gets a call about those or, you know, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm one of the first guys that gets that call. So, you know, now my competitive advantage is much higher, right? Um, so it's really, you know, we, we do both. Look, I go after retail deals and, you know, I like off market deals and I like distressed deals, but you know, you got to start with establishing the relationship with the broker. And the first way you establish the relationship with the broker is you go after market a deal and then you build a relationship and then you tell them what you're really looking for. And then, and then you get those calls later, you know, Hey, here's, here's what I know you can take down and you know, everyone else can't. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's huge to have, to get that call early in that process and get the, get to be able to take that first look and say, yay or nay, you know? Right. Um, so you, you ended up partnering with, with Catherine talk about, um, you know, what, what are the different roles between you and Catherine? Sure. Like what, what do you play versus what, what roles and responsibilities does she handle? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I'm really, you know, I've found, and this kind of piggybacks on, you know, what her and I, did several years ago. Um, I really enjoy the acquisitions. Like it really, really is my, you know, driver. Um, day-to-day minutia is, is not <laughs> my, I, I, you it's don't just, seem uh, like an admin guy that yeah, you like to push it, push in paper. Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, uh, it's not my thing. Um, but um, she's she really is uh, construction, you know, is her, is one of her strong suites. Um, so you know, on that heavy value add deal, um, you know, completing the capex and understanding the vision and executing the vision. Um, so like when we go look at a property together, you know, um, we see the vision and we know what it's going to take to because we've done hundreds of deals together. And, um, so, I mean, that's really, you know, kind of how it's, it's worked out for us. Um, you know, we have partners on, on different deals and there's operational aspects of that too, that, um, also isn't my, you know, favorite part. I mean, like I said, like, I, I really just, I like chasing the deal and, and getting a win, um, up front, you know, because usually I know when we're buying something, it's, there's a reason for it. So, well, the, so yeah. the other good thing is, I mean, if she, if she's willing to take some of those responsibilities that you don't like, you know, you guys complement each other well, but she also has to be visionary enough to, and, and trust you enough that you can pull it off, you know? It, yeah. 
And, and I, and I, and that's 100%. And I think a lot of that comes from just our previous track record and, and the single family, you know, life was like, you know, we went through a lot of trials and errors and, you know, there's a lot of times where I was like, dude, you know, you got to trust me. Like this is, this is a winner and when we execute, we're going to do it. And so then we'd execute. Um, and then several years down the, the road, like she was in a position of like, you know, Hey, that's a bad idea and I'm going to prove it to you. And I, and like, we were finally at this like place of trust, like, and, and it, and it works. So not like we're in total sync now. Um, you know, we can be walking in a property and just know what each other are thinking. And so like, I really think that that's been, you know, a huge part of our success is, you know, we'll look at some deals and I mean, it's been tough too, right? Because there's, you know, we, most of the time we're a hundred percent, like we look at the same deal and it's, it's a dud, but there's been some instances where, I see the potential, but she doesn't or she does and I don't. But, you know, we don't end up doing them anyway. And the ones that we do take down are gold. So, yeah, man, it's 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 been really awesome. That's fantastic. So um, talk about where where did you find where did you guys find your investors uh, for your deals, your passive investors? Did they come through the multifamily mentorship group? Did they come from prior relationships? Um you know, from the single family fix and flip days, a little bit of all the above, you know, help us understand that. Yeah. A little bit of all the above. I, I was, when I was doing single family stuff, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was buying houses, you know, that needed a 20% down payment. And then I would go out to my friends and family and I'd ask them for the 20% down and I'd give them a profit share in our deal. And so I was funding these houses, doing all the work and giving them, you know, a profit share. Um, so when I found out about how, you know, multifamily syndications work, like it was, it was, to me, it was already something that I'd been really doing, right? Like finding the deal, leveraging it and, and raising the equity. So I had a lot of relationships. Um, I found a lot of new commonalities, you know, in the, in the circuit and, you know, in the multifamily space. I mean, there's tons of syndication groups out there. And so we just started frequenting a lot of those. Um, and then over time, you know, we also, uh, had a lot of word of mouth, right? Like friends of family or friends of friends or wins of wins. And, um, you know, people would just start reaching out to us and saying, Hey, like, you know, I've heard what you've guys been doing. I want to be, let me know about the next, the next deal you have. So I think it's just one of those things that like, it just takes time. You know, and, and, and when you do the right thing and you do buy right your investors and it, it, it just it kind of starts to snowball eventually. No, that's great. Uh, so I was having so I do not come from the, you know, single family world. I, yeah. um, I, I was kind of, you know, not in the real estate world, uh, did a duplex and then went right into large scale multifamily. But I mean, I you were you- what's that? I mean, but you, I mean, I mean, you say that, but I know you were in, I know you had a bit, you were in residential real estate. Well, I, I treated you, you were, loan portfolios, yes. um, you know, so you large knew, loan you, portfolios, residential, multifamily and commercial, um, still have a, a business that does that, but it's not the same as buying real estate. True. I never bought a single family house and fixed it up and, and, you know, flipped it. But I was, I was having coffee with a guy earlier this week. Um, well today's Monday, so it was last week, last (laughs) week. And he, he is 
coming from the single family side. So he's completely on the single family fix and flip. And he's like, Hey, I'm hearing more of my investors wanting to get on the multifamily side. And he was trying to, you know, try to understand how to make that cross that chasm and get, get over there. And, you know, one of the things that I talked to him about, you know, like, well, where, where will your investors come from? And he thought he would bring a lot of his investors over from the single family world. And, but one of my questions was, and maybe you can answer this is, all right, well, if you're an investor in single family fix and flips, they're pretty quick, you know, like you can, you know, fix it up and sell it in a few months and be out. Right. And so an investor put up money to buy it, to rehab it, but he's getting his, you know, his prop, his money back and his profit back pretty quick where a lot of these multifamily deals, you know, they're, they're built off of a five-year business plan and it may turn before that, like, like on your deal, you know, you're, you're turning it in 35 months, you know, but the market is still an attractive market. So, um, you know, it could be as, as early as two or three years, or it could be, you know, five years, or it could extend, you know, if all of a sudden the fourth year you go into a, a downturn and, you know, it could be six or seven years. So do those same investors have an appetite to put their money to work for that long? They do. They do. Um, and it's interesting though, as, is, you know, cause I had a lot of people asking me, you know, Hey, I want to invest in this, I want to invest in this, you know, single family. Um, and then when I brought the deal, I actually, there was quite a few more people that I had anticipated, but it was also the perfect deal. Cause it was, it was a flip, you know, it was, I, I, and you know, and I had told each of them, you know, the people that were interested in the single family stuff, you know, Hey, like this is a five-year pro forma, but I, I think it'll pop quicker. Um, and so that was kind of an off, you know, table discussion, but I had, you know, these previous relationships with them. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 I do, I, I think that if, if you're an investor and you've got some capital and you're diversifying between single family and multifamily and heavy value ads and, you know, non heavy value ads, like, I think you're doing I think you're doing a little bit of everything, which I would be, and I was, and I still do. I mean, I, I, so yeah, I I do think so. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, uh, let's kind of switch gears for, for a minute here. Where, where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Brothers, sisters, rich, poor. Yeah, sure. So I, you know, my kind of my, I'm just a blue collar kid from Austin, man. From Austin? uh, Yeah. Yeah, Austin, Texas. Grew up in Austin. Single mom. Hung out with my dad every once in a while. Uh, only child. Um, you know, I was just a skateboarder kid, and uh, found my my way. You know, slowly but surely, uh, up to Texas Tech, and um, that was. You know, I wasn't planning on going to college, but you know, all of my friends did, so I went up there too. I ended up getting a an engineering scholarship. Did you really? I did. My dad was an engineer for the city of Austin for like 30 years, you know, and um, uh, I got an engineering scholarship and the first semester I was like, these are not my people. Um, So I changed the business and uh, went from marketing into finance and then 
once I got to finance, I, you know, ended up taking some real estate classes. And so that was kind of my senior year. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So that's really what kicked it off for me. So, you know, I just I, I was just, you know, a kid running around that didn't really know anything or have have much. But that's one of the things I'm kind of passionate about is, you know, trying to help. You know, I think that there's a lot of kids out there that have untapped potential. They just don't really have the resources or the know-how, you know, so that's a part of where I try to like give back. That's huge. Well, look, I think that there's a lot of listeners that fall into that camp. You know, they're not young kids, but right. You know, yeah. I, I believe there's a, there's a ton of people that are working W2 jobs that don't know another way out, you know, and sure. You know, um, they're unhappy, but they just don't know how to do it, you know, and, and, you know, when you talk about large scale multifamily, I think that a lot of people have this, um, preconceived idea that it's all big business that are buying these large apartment communities. And then, you know, when we open up the world to other people, you know, I think that your story is awesome because you're like, look. Dude, I grew up, I'm just a skateboard kid, like, right. you know, I mean, blue collar guy, like didn't know what I was going to do. And now you're out there buying a hundred unit plus deals at 50% occupancy and you're confident in your ability to turn that around. Yeah. The other thing is that I think it takes, you know, it takes a level of guts to get into this you know, to take a chance, to take that first chance. Even when you, I don't know, when you go back to your first single family, you know, purchase, like that took guts. Yeah. You know, but then you learn, you know, you learn and you don't stop learning, man. I mean, every deal you have different challenges, you, you learn from other people, you learn from deals. Um, But I think it's encouraging to hear people's stories like yours that look, man, I'm, you know, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon, you know, but I also, the the other thing you didn't say, but is true is that you didn't just give in to the way society pushes you. Like you ended up deciding, look, I'm going to figure out how to make my own way somehow. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I'm, you know, and it's, Every day I'm, I'm thankful that I did because, you know, like I said, I'm sitting here on the beach for the rest of the week for no other reason than just because I freaking felt like doing it, man, you know? So yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, so talk about anyone can do it. You know, uh, it's, it's easy for us to say anybody can do it. Right. Um, it's, it's easy for us to say, yeah, all you got to do is get involved and network and, you know, but talk about some of the fear involved with either on the single family side or when you transition over to the multifamily side, like we all have fear. The difference between the investors I've interviewed on here and other people that haven't done is that even though there's fear, you're able to take action through that fear. You know, I think, and, and that may be part of how I'm wired too, but you know, I, I think at some point you, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
And That's you good know, way to put it. The, the first step is is scary, but if you're, you know, if you have a partner or a teammate or, you know, someone that's involved, a mentor um, that has done it before, they can get you comfortable being uncomfortable. And then you eventually get to this point where you're like, like, I'm not growing if I'm not uncomfortable anymore. Like I've done, you know, I, I did my first house. That was a win. I need more houses. I need, you know, now it's time to go bigger. And so it's like, you know, constantly scaling the business because, you know, when I start to get comfortable is when it just, you know, it's for me, at least it starts to get boring. Um, so, you know, I always have to, to push the limits, you know, and then there's other people that are, you know, that I'm surrounded by that are, you know, that my partners that, you know, are depending on me to like, go find more deals, like, you know, which fortunately is what I like doing. Um, so, you know, I really think like at the end of the day, you know, it's it's just for me, it's just been getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And once I hit that peak, like there's really no limit. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's so many good things there because, you know, in the beginning, you know, people have asked me, like, what was the hardest part about doing your first syndication deal? And I'm like, every part was hard. Like <laughs> it was all you know, hard. It was all hard the first time I did it. You know, and now I look back and there's so many of those steps that are not, they don't, they're not scary to me anymore. They're not, you know, um, so I get your point in terms of like, all right, what's the next thing to be uncomfortable with, you know? And then, and then if you can partner with somebody or have a mentor or talk to somebody that's been through it, um, you know, that surrounding yourself with people that have already done what you want to do, um, there's. Man, there's people that have been on here that have two, 3,000 units that, you know, a lot of people can't relate to. And they're already thinking like, and they're talking to the people that have 10, 20,000 units. Like, how'd you get there? And mm. it's, it's not all about the money. You know, it's all, part of it is, is building wealth and all that, but, and, and giving yourself financial freedom. But part of it is, man, you said something, I get bored. You know, I'm the same way, man. It's like, if I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again, and I don't have a challenge, I'm going to be bored, you know? And, and so if you can go after a a bigger goal, a bigger challenge or something you haven't done, that's where the juices are. That's where, you know, (laughs) that's where you get fired up. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, talk about, um, some of the sacrifices you, you may have had to, to give, you know, going this route, you know, um, you know, we talked about some of the benefits of going your own way and, um, but you know, you also give up some stuff early on to try to make that happen. Yeah. I think there's a, you know, a lot to be said about being a nomad, you know, you, um, you get to do what you want but then you also, you know, you get to do what you want. So, <laughs> but you have uh, to fund it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Right? You got to fund it. And, that's the challenge for a lot of people yeah. is like, how do I go from, you know, a guaranteed income, you know, trading time for money to doing my own thing, but I don't have right. any guarantee. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think early on, you know, I was kind of taught and, and so I, I saved really well and, and I was fortunate 
you know, 2009, 2012, I was in mortgages and I was really, 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 really good at it. You know, I was a young kid in my late 20s doing really well. Um, and so I saved a lot of money and, you know, and it allowed me to, you know, go in and do my own thing. But, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot of, you know, I mean, over the past 15 years, I've, I've sacrificed a lot of my personal life, which it's again, you know, I, I do what I want. I run my own schedule. But, you know, there's some other things that, you know, not so much. So, well, look, I mean, you you said a couple of things and, and maybe you don't think they're that important, but I but I do. And I think that if listeners are, are, you know, wanting to do something on their own, whether you want to invest in real estate or whether you want to start your own business, you know, you have to set yourself up for it. You know, you, so, you know, Jimmy said he made good money and he saved well. You know, and he sacrificed some of his personal life. So delayed gratification, you know, yeah. I, I had a guy on that said his dad grilled into his head. You either pay now and play later or you play now and you pay later. <laughs> so, you know, it. that I think is a great quote because it's so true. There's so, look, if you can't, it's very, very difficult to go off on your own if you don't sacrifice a bit in the beginning, you know, and that could be that you saved a lot of money, you know, and put it away so that you can take a chance. It could be, you know, if you're younger, could be that you live at home with mom and dad or with a, Mm -hmm. with a buddy on the couch, whatever, like, so that you have money to, to survive in that, you know, early stage. And, but most people, they want to, you know, they get the raise and they buy the nicer car, the nicer house right away. And then they're stuck. You know, you don't want to be stuck. You know, it, look, if you are in a job that you love, so be it. That's fantastic. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to all the other people <laughs> that are unhappy with what they're doing. Yeah. You know, they're making somebody else rich. And you, you typically are not going to get there by spending all your money. You know, you're not going to be able to jump ship and take a chance. Talk about how old are you now, Jimmy? 37. I'll 37. Be, I'll be uh, 38 in June. 38. Um, so I'm 51. I w- Dude, I wish that I had started investing in real estate back when you did. You know, so, um, you know, I applaud you. For doing it and you know i've had young people in their 20s and 30s come to me yeah. and they're like hey should i start now or should i go in a career and bank a bunch of money and then come back to it and i'm like look i wish i had started earlier you know but here's the thing you have to play to your strengths and your weaknesses right so your strength was you were doing all these single family fix and flips you understood how how that game worked you just had to take it to another level Right. Um, you know, if you're in your twenties or thirties and you haven't been in the real estate world, you probably don't have a ton of capital. Um, and you have some experience, but you know, why is your, your uncle and your grandfather going to invest with you on your first deal? Like that's what I get a, a lot of people with this kind of limiting belief. And, and I'm like, just go partner with somebody that has the experience. Yeah. You know, if you're the younger guy 
and you don't make as much. You won't, you won't, you know, take as big of a piece on the first deal, but you get the experience. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you're, when your uncle and your grandfather are making money, they're going to go tell, you know, their golfing buddies. And now all of a sudden they're all into the next deal. Yep. Yeah. Um, 100%. So talk about another thing that people have asked me about is, you know, mentorship groups, you know, me and you met in a mentorship group. Um, for me, the va- the the vast value because I knew multifamily as an asset class because I've been had been trading it as loan portfolios for a long time. I was not in the real estate world, but I did understand it um, as an asset class. But it really was the value of being surrounded with other people that were doing it and seeing that all these other people are being successful at it. And I'm like, if they could do it, I could do it, you know? And, and then all of a sudden identifying who can I partner with? You know, I don't have the experience. Who can I partner with? You know, and it brings all those people into a, a, you know, a much smaller knit group and it gives you proximity to those people. What, what's your experience? Yeah, no, I mean, the same way. I mean, that's, that's what happened to us is, you know, I I started out and thought I could do it on my own and and didn't have enough experience and, and um, partnered with people who had tons of experience and we helped each other out. Right. Like we did a lot of the work and, you know, they benefited from, from having the, the, you know, resume, but I would say it's just like anything else. Look, I mean, if, if you want to go do a marathon or, you know, whatever, you know, I can't, think of it what I'm trying to think of but you know you're gonna go train with people who are wanting to do the same thing right and you're all gonna help each other and you're all gonna get to the same goal so you know if you're wanting to get into apartments you know you need to be hanging out with people that are either wanting to get into apartments or have been in apartments right and that's really you know just been it for me is just like you know it's just like anything else like get around people who are doing what you want to do and then you get to fly to florida and, and <laughs> hang out on the beach for a yeah. week <laughs> yeah that, man that, that is awesome hey what's the next big stretch goal for jimmy man i think we're I, I think we're we're trying to go pretty big i think uh we want to get to like 500 million in the next five years assets under management um and if you do the math on that that's like 1 billion in 10 years so really you know just this year has been systems, processes, procedures, you know, all the stuff that Jimmy hates, but I've been doing it because I know we have to. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, we've started hiring um, some people and I think, uh, I think, I think really we're going to ramp it up. Fantastic. Hey, what do you do outside of work for fun? Oh man, when I'm not working, I'm usually just, you know, hanging out at the beach, doing podcasts with Darren, you know, um, <laughs> I doubt <laughs> that, man, this was a favor. You're a, you're like, I'm going to Fort Lauderdale. I'm like, you got to still got it on yeah, the phone. Yeah. You know, you know you're man, like, All right, man, I'll do it. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like working out. I like going on bike rides and hiking. I've, I've really, I, you know, I got a couple old vintage motorcycles and a couple old Vintage do cars. Really? Do you ride? Yeah, yeah, I do. I well, used. I, I, I used, would like to go riding with you. Yeah, you, if, I'm my that, my little be... my little classics might not be able to hang up hang up with your uh, with your Harleys, but I can rent well, one and we hey, can go bang it out. I don't have a bike. I okay. rented a Harley to drive down to to uh, Austin, but yeah, I, that was a rental. I did not. Okay. I don't own one, so 
Um, no, I, I'd love to get out. Yeah, well, we should do that. I've got, I've got one of them. I've got, I've got a couple, uh, two in the shop. I, I'm really, I like restoring things and, but, uh, yeah, I got a couple coming, but if not, man, we can get on a couple glides and just go, you know, go cruising. Awesome. That'd be fat. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Man, just hit up our website. It's high5multifamily.com, H-I-G-H-F-I-V-E, multifamily.com. Just hit up the request. We'll get back to you real quick. Fantastic. Um, so these guys, um, Catherine's not on here, but I will have her on at yes. some point. And, and, um, but Jimmy and Catherine, I, you know, they were some of the first people I've met at, at, in the multifamily mentorship group. I think great people and um, gr- doing great things. And I love the fact that they're, you know, they've got the guts to go after some of these <laughs> tougher deals. And you heard the returns, man, double the money in less than yeah, three years. So that was pretty, pretty darn good. So I wish you guys much success. I hope that we do business at some point. For sure. And, um, Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Look, Jimmy can do it. Like he's got guts and he he's got a lot of experience, but just know you can come from any background and get involved. 100%. So listeners, until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 